0: to look like joy for you to take it and plant it and get joy your circumstances don't have to look like peace for you to take it and plant it and get peace Good morning, church. Hey. I think maybe some students are in church this morning. I think, maybe. Uh, yeah, I have had an amazing time with these students this weekend, and it's been an amazing time in the previous two services. Man, I think this is the Newburgh campus. Is that true? Maybe? No? I don't know. Is this the Newburgh campus? Um, Uh, I know that there's also a West Campus. We welcome you, West Campus. I have not been there physically, but the Spirit of the Lord is there with you. And uh, welcome to our service. And there's an online community watching. It doesn't matter if you're in here in the building or at the West Campus or uh, watching online. We believe that you can... Feel the spirit of the Lord and sense his presence and power. And I've had an amazing weekend. I just got to shout out our middle school uh, pastor, Mark. Is Mark in the room? Where's Mark? Where's Mark? Man, you're doing such a great job. Man, Anna Ross, dude, our high school pastor. Man, you're doing an amazing job, man. Every middle school student and high school student that I've that I've interacted with, have been a reflection of y'all's leadership and a reflection of this church's commitment to the next generation. And so you can clap it up for yourselves. Man, so many amazing parents who have let your teenagers and middle school students kind of be at host homes. If you're a parent in the room or if you're a person at the church and you've given up your host home, God bless you. Uh, It's not easy opening up your home to a bunch of teenagers. uh, But I'm excited. I heard this is the Rowdy Crew. Right? Uh, So I'm black, if you haven't noticed. (laughs) And uh, which means I grew up preaching in black churches. And there is no confusion whether or not you're doing a good job or a bad job when you're preaching in a black church. You see what I'm saying? If you're doing a good job, somebody's gonna hop up on the organ, you know what I'm saying, people are gonna say amen, people respond. If you're doing a bad job though, if you're doing a bad job, if the ship is sinking, right, and you're in a black church, a church mother will stand up and she'll just look at you and say, help him Holy Ghost. (laughs) Which at that point you're thinking to yourself, now, yes Holy Ghost, now is a good time to come and uh, divinely intervene (laughs) on this situation. And so here's the deal, Uh, you please feel free to like, you know, holla back at me um, because the better you respond, the better I preach. That's just how it kind of works. Um, and, and you can say all types of things. You can say amen. amen. There we go. There we go you can say amen, you can say preach that, you can say that's for me, you can say make it plain, you can say all types of things. One time we were at church and a man in the back of the sanctuary stood up and he said, he directed his speech toward the stage and he said, tell the truth and shame the devil, Bishop Thompson. And we all looked back and we went, no one told him about the three word rule. There's <laughs> a three word rule. So any combination of three words shouted towards the stage will be appreciated and reciprocated back. But Paragraphs will be ignored. Um, paragraphs, no emails towards the stage. Um, just nice little short phrases will, will be good. And uh, yeah, is this, I came to the right campus, right? This is the Rowdy Crew, yeah, yeah. There we go. Not just the Rowdy Corner, but the Rowdy Crew, right? Uh, and man, I cannot, I'm really, really excited to be with you guys. It's my first time in Evansville, Indiana. And uh, I'm from North Carolina, so I brought my biggest coat and it still wasn't big enough. <laughs> uh, but And uh, I said this in the last service, I just feel like I gotta say it, you know what I mean? I'm, a, I'm, I'm from Boston, Massachusetts originally, so I hate the Colts. <laughs> um, and so um, I hate all the Mannings, I hate all of them, um, especially when Peyton sent his little brother to beat us in the Super Bowl, but we're not gonna, talk about any of that. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You know what, let's have a silent service today. Let's, you don't need to. <laughs> but uh, I hope you, you know, no one has left the sanctuary yet. Uh, you know, it didn't happen last service, but I am a diehard Patriots fan, so please pray for us in the Super Bowl. A diehard Patriots fan, I'm a diehard Tom Brady fan, and, um, uh, you know, sorry. Just gotta let the elephant out of the room, you know. Um, But I love, the. it doesn't matter if I'm a Patriots fan, and it doesn't matter if I'm black. You know, the thing that does matter is that the blood of Jesus works for me, for you, for everybody, and in a world that wants to divide us, I believe that there's a church that stands for unity, and there's a church that says, man, we're all gonna be in the same place when we get to heaven, and heaven's not gonna be segregated, so we may as well learn how to get along together down here. And uh, man, I love being with you. This has been an amazing weekend. And man, I'm ready for the word. Is, are you ready? Yeah. I'm ready, I'm ready. And uh, I hope you feel good. If you feel anywhere near as good as you look, then you may feel, you, you gotta feel awesome because you're a good looking church. I like being a good looking church, you know what I'm saying? I always, at our church, I tell people, hey, greet your neighbor, tell them they look good, even if they don't, because we speak those things that be not as though they were. And if you keep telling your neighbor they look good, one of these days you'll get to church and they, they'll look better, you know? Um, so, man, if you got a Bible, you can go ahead and grab your Bible. Anybody got a physical leather Bible with them today? Come on. All right. All right. All right. Uh, if you got an iPhone, you can go to Uversion Bible app. Um, if you have an Android, you can put that away. <laughs> no blurry pictures necessary today. Um <laughs> if you got a Bible. And if, 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 you, if you want to just look up on the screen, we're going to throw the passage up here on the screen. We're going to go to the book of Luke. I know that your church right now is in a sermon series in the book of Luke. And so I'm here just to fill in. And I was here with the teenagers, uh, but man, they asked me to stay over for the weekend and just to stay in the same vein as we're going through the book of Luke. And so I think you're a couple weeks into the book of Luke. And so we're going to continue that journey through the gospel of luke luke is the only gentile author of the entire bible which is pretty cool because he gives us an outside perspective every other author of the bible is jewish but luke lets us in on this jewish thing that's been happening and so i love the gospel of luke in luke chapter 8 verse 22 it says this one day jesus said to his let us go over to the other side of the So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. asleep. A a squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped. And they were in great danger. Come on, they were in great Danger. danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. You hear how confident they are about what's about to take place. Uh, He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your? Come on, where is your? That is the question that we're gonna anchor our attention around today. Where is your? He asked his disciples in fear and amazement. They asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds in the water and they obey him. Come on, I don't know if you're going through a storm today, but I'm gonna pray in a moment that the God who resides over the storm would be the God that we worship. I love the fact that the song that we sang even before I got up here, so will I. If creation obeys you, so will I. That it doesn't matter what's happening in your world, come on, there's a God who holds the world in the palm of his hands and I don't, I'll put my faith in the things that are surrounding my life, but I put my faith in the one who controls everything around my life. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the reading of your word. God, I thank you that your word brings light and it brings life. God, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Illuminate our way. And God, I even pray for this church specifically today. I know that this church is going through transition and looking for a pastor. And so, God, I ask that you would give the elders of this church and the leaders of this church a special wisdom, discernment, and guidance as they look for a pastor and as they go through that selection process. God, I thank you for every faithful person that's in this church right now and 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 been faithful through transition, God, I ask that you would bless them uh, abundantly beyond anything that they could ever ask, think, or imagine. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all say together. Amen. I love teenagers. I really do. I love teenagers. I am a youth pastor in North Carolina, which means I am constantly surrounded by teenagers. Teenagers are at my house probably right now, right? I mean, when I get off the plane, I'll go home and my wife will have teenagers at the house with fingernail polish spread all over my kitchen table. I mean, I'm always around teenagers. I'm at football games all the time. I'm up and down the hallways of high schools. My life revolves around teenagers. And one of the things that I have realized is that teenagers, all the parents can say amen, is teenagers are emotionally confused and inconsistent. Oh yeah, come on, amen. I mean, emotionally, just they don't know how they want to feel. One day, a teenager could be like in love with you. I remember one time a girl came to the church and and I've been her youth pastor. And she's like, oh my God, Pastor Manny, I love you. I love your wife. I just love the church. I feel like family. A couple days later, I went to her high school. I saw her in the lunchroom and she turned around and acted like she did not know me. She said, you embarrassed me. I said, you just said you loved me. She's like, I don't know how to feel. Teenagers are mostly up and down. I mean, it's, they're riding like this emotional roller coaster. It's just a part of puberty. It is what it is. But nothing makes it worse than when a teenager says, I think I'm in love. No one wants to hear those words. When a teenager says, but I think I love him, that's like, uh oh, <laughs> the end is near, you know? And, and so many times, uh, you know, a teenager, a t- typically a teenage girl will come into my office or walk up to me during a youth service and she's like, I think I'm in love, Pastor Manny. And I'm like, okay, with who? With Jamal. I'm like, okay, Jamal. What do you love about Jamal? I just love his dimple. He can't afford to? <laughs> what? <laughs> Uh-uh, I just love it, like I love it. He only got one dimple past me. I love Jamal, mm-hmm. like, and then I then proceed to ask, you know, said female, like, how long have you known Jamal? We're about to celebrate our three-week anniversary. <laughs> you know, <laughs> to which I then go, you don't love Jamal because you don't know Jamal, and I gotta be a little, gotta get a little grace for teenagers because honestly. Technology has afforded us the opportunity to communicate at a rate that is not consistent with how fast intimacy can actually be exchanged between people. The, the technology allows us to text people all day long. And if we text them and we don't get a response, come on, don't, don't, don't can we be honest in church? Uh, if you text someone and they don't get a response, who's ever checked someone's Instagram? you like, like, what are they up to? Why didn't they text me back, right? And so often, It takes a long time to form intimacy, and I've got to have grace for teenagers because the feeling they feel is a real feeling, but it's not love, it's actually attachment. And sometimes you can confuse attachment with intimacy, and although I am attached to someone, that doesn't mean that I have an intimate relationship with them. All the married people know that, man, what they're trying to microwave, we crock-potted for a long time in a healthy way, right? And that love takes time, and love takes attention, and it takes dedication over seasons of life. I can remember when I met my wife. Oh yeah, the good old days. (laughs) The good old days. Um, And if we're not careful, we can actually bring our 21st century technological expectations into a spiritual relationship with God. where We think that this is the God who's gonna text me back immediately, and this is the God who's gonna respond every single time that I pray. But can I be honest? If you've walked with the Lord for any great length of time, then you realize that there are times where God says, how about you get on your face and pray for 21 days? How about you turn your plate down and fast? How about you seek my face? How about you wake up early in the morning and dedicate some time to me? This isn't always gonna be the easy easiest thing. And if I have an expectation that I can microwave my relationship with the Lord, then I'm going to miss out on the most important relationship of my life, because this is a God that says, this is going to take consistency, and it's going to take time, and it's going to take dedication, and it may be uncomfortable for you. And there are going to be some things about our relationship that aren't going to come quickly. I I love this because when me and my wife met, it was the good old days, you know, the good old days of blockbuster, Anybody miss Blockbuster? I miss Blockbuster. Because every Blockbuster smelled the same. <laughs> Didn't matter where you were in the world, every Blockbuster smelled like dingy carpet and plastic. <laughs> you know? uh, I remember when I met my wife, there were no DMs to slide into. Um, for everyone in the room who doesn't know what a DM is. DM is an acronym. Uh, It's a generational colloquialism for direct message. And if you're still confused, a direct message is how you talk to someone on an app called Instagram. There we go, I just informed everyone, you can thank me later. (laughs) There were no DMs to slide into, there was no one to text. When I was growing up, when me and Ross were growing up, man, the good old days, you had to pop a breath mint in your mouth and actually walk over to a live female. You had to introduce yourself, crazy idea. (laughs) No swiping left or right, just had to actually talk face to face, had to introduce yourself, and you had to ask for her phone number, which meant you did not get a cell phone number. You got a landline phone. And you were hoping that one or two things did not happen. You were hoping that no one was on LimeWire on the other end because that meant the phone call wouldn't go through. Come on, how many people? You had some downloads being interrupted by phone calls. Hello. I remember my mom used to pop her head into the, into the You know, I had my compact for Sario. <laughs> my mom would pop her head into the room like, I need my phone back, you know? Get off the computer. You're hoping that they weren't on the, uh, using their AOL <laughs> disc <laughs> on the other end, um, getting free internet. And you were also hoping, that the girl that gave you the number actually answered the phone. Because the worst thing in the world is for you to call a girl's house and for some older masculine voice to pick up the phone. Like, hey, this is Mr. Robertson, who are you? Um, <laughs> I didn't want anything, <laughs> you know, wrong number. <laughs> I remember sneaking the cordless phone into my bedroom just to be able to talk to my wife, you know what I mean? Um, and, the worst thing that could ever happen this happens to everybody at some point it's inevitable that you're pouring your heart out you're telling this person about your day about the person that cut you off or something that happened and you're pouring your heart out you're being honest you're being vulnerable and on the other end you hear (sighs) right everyone has either had someone fall asleep on them or they have fallen asleep on the other line when you're trying to talk late at night What I love about Luke chapter eight is that the disciples get into a boat. It's Jesus' idea to even get into the boat. And then all of a sudden a storm breaks out and Jesus goes to sleep. Has anybody, like, can be honest enough to admit that sometimes it's not just the storm that makes you discouraged. It's not just the storm that has thrown you off guard. Storms are normal. Storms are a natural part of life. Unexpected things happen. But the storm isn't the biggest issue. But sometimes in my biggest moment of need, I feel like God is sleeping in my boat. I could weather the storm if Jesus would just wake up and rub my back and comfort me. But if there's anybody who's been walking with God long enough to admit, that sometimes the storm is exacerbated by the fact that you feel alone and it feels dark and it feels like God is absent and you're confused because you heard God say that he would never leave you or forsake you but in this moment, you definitely feel like he's left and you definitely feel forsaken and I can imagine the disciples huddling around and getting a holy huddle and they're talking like, remember what the, the woman with the issue of blood? She's not even here. I mean, she's not a disciple. What did she ever do? All she did was ask Jesus for a miracle. She reached out her hand, and she got blessed, but where is she? Have you ever compared what God is doing for other people? Oh, come on, have you, ever, have you ever found yourself in a mental headspace where you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute, I tithe, and there are people who don't tithe, but their kids got scholarships to school? What's going on? Have you ever thought to yourself, I serve in all the ministries, and I still ain't married, hello. Like, I serve in the parking lot. There's got to be a special place in heaven for the people who serve in the parking lot, especially in Indiana where it's cold. You serve, you're faithful, you've been going to church, and. And I've gotten into situations in my life where it's almost like I'm keeping score, like I'm keeping track of how faithful I am and I think that I can cash in my faithfulness points to a God who will reward me for my faithfulness. And I can imagine the disciples huddling around like, oh my God, he opened deaf ears and he opened blinded eyes for all of these strangers and they're not here. They haven't been walking with Jesus for three years and now we're in a boat and it was God's idea to put us in the boat and now there's a storm. Has anybody ever been hit with the reality that just because God made you or called you or told you to do something that it doesn't mean that it's gonna be easy? oh man, I can remember when the Lord told me to move to North Carolina and the Lord told me to take over a youth ministry. The first time I had a catastrophic instance with a student, I was like, wait a minute. I thought that if God called me to do this, then it was gonna be simple. But do you know that actually when God calls you to do things, sometimes those things turn out to be the most difficult things and God did tell you to marry that person and God did tell you to adopt that kid and God did tell you to minister to that student. And just because God called you there and just because God said, does not guard you against storms. A storm can break out even when you're being obedient to what God has asked you to do. And I can imagine in my mind, the disciples are huddled together trying to figure out how do we get into this circumstance? I thought obeying God was gonna mean that everything got easier. Is there anybody who's honest enough to say, actually, when I started coming to church and I became a Christian, my life got worse? Hello. That's real. And I wanna even explain why that happens. I didn't do this in any of the other two services, but it's okay, I'm gonna call an audible. <laughs> Sometimes before you're saved, you and the enemy are playing on the same team, so he has no reason to oppose you. And then you come into church and you think, oh yeah, I gave my life to Jesus, everything's about to be better. But now you don't realize that everything's not gonna get better because now you have this enemy that you didn't have before. And now the forces of hell have been unleashed to retrieve you and get you back. And before you and the enemy were going in the same direction and now you're a traitor and you switch teams and now you're playing on God's team and now the enemy and you are butting heads because you're going in opposite directions. Do you know that opposition is actually proof that you're going in the right direction and you don't need to give up, you don't need to shrink back, you actually need to press forward towards what God has called you to do. If you thought that just because you obeyed God, it was going to get easier, I've got a news flash for you. Sometimes obeying God actually means that your life gets more difficult. The disciples are in this circumstance. And here we go. Jesus wakes up. Jesus always wakes up. And if we can throw this verse up on the screen, Jesus wakes up and, and he asks this question. Where is your? Come on. Where is your? You know, Jesus talks about faith a lot throughout all four Gospels. He talks about faith consistently. And typically, Jesus is measuring people's faith. To one person, he'll say, you have no faith. To someone else, he'll say, you have little faith. I love when Jesus actually said, you have little faith, because after he says little faith, then he just says, it takes faith the size of a mustard seed to move a mountain. It's like so encouraging. It's like, I'm gonna diss you, but then rub your back. It's really interesting that Jesus does that, right? And then he says to some people, it's your faith that makes you well. And then to a centurion, he says, there, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. You have great faith. And it says that Jesus was amazed at somebody's faith. So to some, Jesus says, You've got minuscule faith. To others, Jesus says you've got miniature faith. To others, Jesus says you got mediocre faith, medium faith, and then we get mega faith. Jesus is constantly what? Measuring people's faith. But in this passage, we don't find Jesus measuring anybody's faith because this is not a passage about the Measurement of the disciples' faith. This is a passage about the misplacement of the disciples' faith. Because if I said to you, Where are your keys? that means you have. If I said, Where is your spouse? that means you have a. If I said, Where is your car? that means you have a. It doesn't matter what I ask in the blank. If I said, Where is your blank? As the asker of the question, I'm actually assuming that the thing I'm asking you about is something that you have. And Jesus is not making commentary on the measurement of their faith. He's making comment on the misplacement of their faith. And so we've gotta figure out where was the disciples faith because until we figure out where the disciples faith was, we're not gonna ever know where our faith is because I think that maybe God sent me all the way to Evansville, Indiana, to remind you that it's not just that you need faith, but you need to have your faith in the right thing. If your faith is in your 401k, it's in the wrong place. If your faith is in your education, it's in the wrong place. If your faith is in your degree, it's in the wrong place. Come on, if your faith is in a pastor, it's in the wrong place. Your faith should be in the only one who can sustain your life. Your faith has to be in Jesus, the son of the living God, the most high. Our faith is in one place, Jesus. And so we've got to ask the question, where was their faith? I think I know where their faith was. And I think I know where our faith is so many times. I think that the disciples' faith was firmly planted in the storm. Oh, come on. They said, we are going to drown. You know what faith is? Faith is believing in something that has not yet occurred. Faith is saying, I know that this thing has power over me. We got to define some terms here. I got to help you out because I want to redefine these terms because the Christian faith has almost been hijacked by these generational Goliaths and and the word anxiety. We got to redefine anxiety because what is anxiety? Anxiety is imagining an outcome that has not yet happened. Everybody that I talk to, I have so many teenagers, and Ross and I and Mark, man, we're dealing with the most medicated generation in American history. There was a girl that came to our youth group, had a panic attack, an anxiety attack in the lobby, and so we've gotta be able to speak from the body of Christ about this issue, anxiety. And everybody that I talk to that deals with anxiety, they imagine outcomes before they happen. So they become anxious about something that is dwelling in tomorrow. And if you are gonna allow your mind to go into tomorrow and you can create scenarios about what's gonna happen tomorrow, if you can create negative scenarios about what's gonna happen, and then you can create positive scenarios about what's gonna happen. Because in order to be anxious, you have to have an imagination. So why would you use your God-given imagination to create a burden for your life instead of creating a blessing for your life? If I'm gonna put my mind into tomorrow, then baby, I'm gonna pull blessing into tomorrow. I'm not gonna pull doom out of my future, I'm gonna pull blessing into my present. You know what typically happens when you're anxious about something? It happens because the power of faith doesn't just have the ability to bring blessing into your life. Faith could destroy you as well. The disciples have faith in the storm, which means the storm is getting stronger because they have faith in it. What is fear? Fear is just my acknowledgement that something is stronger than me. That's all fear is. This is why the Bible says at the beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. I'm not even able to believe in God until I'm what? Afraid of him. Fear brings humility because it puts me in my proper place next to the thing that I'm afraid of. What is worry? All worry is, is your ability to meditate on something for a prolonged period of time. I got a confession to make. I feel like we're, you know, we're getting intimate. I have ADHD. I've been medicated for ADHD. I think it's my superpower. (laughs) My wife's not so convinced. (laughs) But you know what's better than Adderall? I've been on Adderall. You know what's better than Ritalin? I've been on Ritalin. You know what's better than Adderall and Ritalin to to kill my ADHD? Worry. Because when I'm worried about something, oh baby, I'm focused. It's the only thing I can think about all day long. And I remember one time I was worried about something and I realized, wait a second, worry is stronger than distraction, which means that if I can worry about the problem, then that means I can meditate upon God's solution. It's the same muscle put in a different direction. It's the same weapon pointed at a different target. If I can be anxious over something, then that means I have an imagination. And if I have an imagination, then I can be creative. And if I can be creative, then I mean I can dream God's outcome come for what's going to happen in my life. And the enemy has to stop using your imagination to make you afraid and make you shrink back. And today, I dare you to start using your imagination to believe in what God's promises have already been declared over your life. Where is your faith? Where is it? Jesus doesn't have an issue with the measurement of their faith. Actually, he wakes up and he feels such a strong presence of faith that he has to rebuke the wind and the waves. Why does he rebuke the wind and the waves? I love this. He doesn't just calm the storms, but he rebukes the wind and the waves as if like, the winds and the waves are being like disobedient. You know? If there's one thing that I think the enemy wants more than anything, I don't think the enemy wants your car. I don't think the enemy wants your house. And a lots of like health and wealth preachers preach, you know, the devil's trying to make you dot, dot, dot. I think the thing that the devil wants more than anything is actually found in the pages of the Bible. The Old Testament says that this old angel of light, this fallen angel, that the one thing that he desired was to receive the glory of God instead of reflecting the glory of God because Satan wants worship. And then in the New Testament, Satan is face to face with Jesus. And he says, how about you bow down and worship me? See, this is a devil that is lustful after worship. He wants worship. And so when he wants worship, he doesn't show up to your job or to your front door with a pitchfork in his hands and horns pointed out the side of his face. He doesn't show up and ask you to write a pentagram on your chest or to tattoo a pentagram on your forehead. Or he doesn't slide you a Ouija board. He doesn't make you play with tarot cards. No, 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 no. What the devil does is he wraps himself up in the storms of life and in your worry you start worshiping the problem instead of worshiping the god who governs the problem oh come on how many times has the doctor said a report to you that you didn't want to hear and now you've got faith in a medical establishment or now someone has told you that you're not approved for a loan and now you've got faith in a bank and all the things of life we put our faith and we put our allegiance and we put our trust and all these things that are not god and God asked, where is your faith? I love this because if we can go to verse 22, the, the verse that kind of starts everything. Jesus says, uh, it says, one day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Other side. We got to say that together. Okay. Let us go over to the other side. of the lake. Jesus says, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So halfway on the journey, they encounter a storm. It's crazy to me because the only question that was necessary to ask was, is this the other side of the lake? Because as long as I look around and I don't see the other side of the lake, then that means that there is no storm, there is no demon from hell, there is no devil, there is nothing that can stop the word of God going forward. And if God said we're gonna get to the other side of the lake, then there is no storm that can stop what God has already declared will happen. Baby, the end has already been decided. You're already gonna win. You're already victorious. Why are you worried in the middle when a storm breaks out, Jesus already told you the intended destination for your journey. What they didn't realize is that every time God speaks, his word creates worlds. Oh yeah, come on. As you speak, a hundred billion galaxies are born. The, The words of God create the worlds of men that it's his word that sustains us, and his word said that his word will never return to him void, but it will accomplish the very thing that he sent it to accomplish, that as the rain and the snow fall from heaven and nourish the earth, that in the same way that that process happens, so shall my word be. God declares my word will never return to me void. So in the middle of the storm, you need to ask yourself, what did God say? Did God say we'd make it through this storm? Did God? Say say we'd make it through this transition in pastors? Did God say that we would make it through this divorce? Did God say that we'd make it through this argument? Did God say that we'd make it through this sickness? What did God say? Because as long as God said something, then that means the storm cannot override what he said. What did he say? The God that I serve. The Bible says that he's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He's not a man that he would lie, and he's not the son of man that he would ever change his mind. What did he promise you? Did he promise you when you were pregnant with that boy that's now a teenager, did he promise something to you about that kid? And now that they've gone wayward, you need to anchor yourself back to what God said before the storm was ever even an occurrence. What did he say before the storm even occurred? I remember, Years ago, before my wife and I were even dating, I mean, uh, we knew each other, but we weren't dating and we certainly weren't married. She was living in Orlando and on multiple occasions, uh, oh, I think we have a picture of my wife actually. I think? hey girl! (laughs) Okay, take it down, I'm gonna get distracted. Oh God, this is my chocolate mamacita. If you're watching online, baby. (laughs) coming home soon. (laughs) I love her. Before we were even dating, I mean, we knew each other. We weren't even dating. On multiple occasions, random strangers came up to my wife and said things like, hey, I, uh, I saw you like I had a dream last night and you were at your child's graduation, like their high school graduation. And I just wanna, I don't know what that means, I just wanna let you know. Or or somebody else would say, I feel like the Lord just wants me to let you know that you're gonna be an amazing mom one day. And multiple people would just come up to my wife randomly, and my wife at that point wasn't married, she wasn't sexually active, and so she was very concerned, like, Lord, if you wanna do some immaculate conception business, I am not married, (laughs) okay? And at first, you just felt like, man, this is random. Fast forward the story, we got married, you know what I'm saying? I think I'm a strapping lad. And, and, and you know, my wife, she's cute. And so we decided the world needs some more orangos. <laughs> so we started trying to have children. Six months went by, no kids. Nine months went by, no kids. A year went by, no kids. We finally went to the doctor. and The doctor let us know that it was gonna be almost impossible for us to have children. And in that moment, I could have had faith in what the doctor just said, I could have faith in the storm, or I could remember. Wait, 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 wait. All those promises that we received before we were even married, those weren't random. God was sending us encouragement because God will always speak when he knows there's a storm on the way. Do you know that this is not a God who leaves you stranded in the middle of a storm? This is a God that's provided multiple promises to you all throughout scripture. Promises that say that healing is our inheritance. Promises that say that he's a provider. Promises that say he'll never leave you or forsake you. And this is the God who will always speak before he falls asleep in your boat. I get the awesome privilege of preaching all over the world. And me and my wife, we're still waiting for a child. We're not pregnant yet. We're in the middle right now. We're not at the other side of the lake. But you know what I refuse to do? I refuse to worship the problem. I refuse to give the enemy any of my allegiance. Oh, I refuse to be impressed by what the enemy is doing in my life. I'm not even gonna give it my attention. I go into doctor's offices all the time, and every single time we go into the doctor's office, we're so full of joy. A lot of times I'm on Instagram, I'm loud, I'm loud everywhere, you know? And all the other couples, they're sad, and you can just feel, that they feel defeated and they're crestfallen, and every single time, the doctors love me and my wife because we breathe so much fresh energy into the doctor's office. And we've been able to encourage so many people right there in the office. Why? Because they have their faith in the storm and we have our faith in the other side of the lake. Oh, come on. We're going to get to the other side of the lake. God already gave me a promise and I'd rather believe the words that were spoken, spoken by the sleeping rabbi than believe the storm that I can see with my natural eyes because faith. Faith and sight sometimes cancel each other out. And if you're looking at a storm right now, I challenge you how about you close your eyes and remember what Jesus said before you even embarked on the journey? I get to preach all over the world, seriously, I mean, there are times where we get to London or we get to Hawaii or we get to Evansville, Indiana, and a random person will pick me up from the airport, someone that I don't know, and I like to make things awkward sometimes. One day a random guy picked me up from the airport, he wasn't holding a sign or anything, he just waved at me and I walked to his car, got in the car, and halfway through the trip I said, you could be kidnapping me. He didn't find it funny. He was like, no, 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 you can see my ID. I was like, dude, I'm just joking. But then I was thinking to myself, he really could be kidnapping me. <laughs> and so random people pick me up all the time. I, I have my dream job. I get to do this for a living. And you know what I never do when I get into a stranger's car that I've never met before? I never fall asleep, never. Most times I buckle my seatbelt in and I preach with a lot of energy. So sometimes after sermon, I'm tired. But you better believe I am wide awake because I don't trust someone that I just met with my life. But when I go back home and one of the guys from the church picks me up or one of our ministry partners, they come grab me from the airport. Man, sometimes the first thing I do, I'll be so tired from traveling. I'll recline the seat and I'll fall right asleep. And you know why I fall asleep? Because I trust the driver. And maybe you've been angry with the Lord because you feel like God is silent right now. You feel like God is sleeping while your storm is breaking out. Let me encourage you. The reason that the Messiah could sleep in the boat is because he trusts that the disciples heard where to take him. This is a God that says, I fell asleep because I trust you. And you think I fell asleep because I'm distant. I fell asleep because we're close. And I fell asleep because we have an intimate relationship. And how about you have as much faith in me as I have? faith in you why would I fall asleep in your vehicle if I don't trust that you heard the directions of where we're going and this is a God that says how about you stop being discouraged when you don't hear my voice and how about you remember the last thing I said because I'll never abandon you I gave you instructions on where to take us come on if that's you today Maybe you're battling with anxiety. Come on, this is a no-judgment zone. If that's you, I wanna pray for you and with you. I just want you to wave at me. If that's you, if that's you, I see your hand, I see your hand, come on, I see your hand, I'm gonna pray just for you. Or if you're in the middle of a storm right now and you're like, Lord, I need to remember what you said, could you remind me of what you said before the storm broke out? If that's you, just wave at me, I'm gonna pray for you. God, I thank you for every precious person under the sign of my voice. God, I thank you that right now you're bringing peace, you're bringing healing, you're bringing transformation. God, I thank you, Lord. You're so faithful. You're so faithful. And God, we speak peace over every person that's struggling with anxiety right now. God, tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday, help them to transform those anxious thoughts into creative thoughts that bring blessing into their life. God, we love you. And it's in your son's name that we pray. We all say together.